This Women's Agenda podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, is supported by Salesforce. Tria Pitt's story is one many Australians know well. At age 24, she was caught in a grass fire while running a 100-kilometre ultramarathon, suffering life-threatening burns to 65% of her body. After undergoing countless medical procedures and spending years in recovery, Tria knows a thing or two about survival. I'm Shirley Chowdhury, the new host of the Women's Agenda podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, supported by Salesforce. Today, I'm joined by Terea, who is one of Australia's most widely admired people. With a background in engineering, she's become a best-selling author, motivational speaker and coach, iron woman and entrepreneur. She's someone who survived against all the odds, turning tragedy into opportunity along the way. Today, she shares more about her journey through adversity and how she's harnessed her ability to defy the odds, to inspire and to help others. I'd like to start today by acknowledging that wherever we are, wherever we both are, we are on land that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And I pay my respects on behalf of both of us to Elders past and present um, who've taken care of this land for millennia. And today I'm on Camaragal land and Tria, I think you're on Ewan land, you said. Yeah, that's right. And thank you for that acknowledgement of country. No, it's beautiful. It's so important, especially um, we're recording this during Reconciliation Week. Yeah. So, uh, especially important this week. So, Taria, you almost don't need any introduction. Wherever you look on the internet and Instagram and Facebook, there is loads about you. Tell us what you've been up to in the last few years. Yeah, the last few years has actually been dominated by myself having babies. My son, Huckabye, is three. And I had a baby last year in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. So that's been the majority of my time has been spent trying to balance, you know, being a mum with trying to do some kind of semblance of, of work. And then my book on happiness came out, came out last September. That's fantastic. And having children and balancing work, I mean, it's a problem that we all deal with. Yeah, and I shouldn't even say balance because I think that makes you think that there's something calm and ordered about it where it's I find it just to be chaos and full on and very messy. No, I get that. My kids are much older, so my youngest is now 15, my oldest is 23 and doesn't live at home. But I think it's constantly a reasserting of priorities. Like today, your kids are more, you know, you need to spend more time with your kids. Tomorrow, you need to focus on work. Tonight, it's your husband. Like, is it a constant rejuggling? Yeah. And that's why I think when people ask, you know, how I do it all or how, you know, how do I find a balance? I, I don't. Like, I feel like some weeks I am a really good mom and I'm really present with my kids and Maybe the next week I'll have a lot of, lot on at work. I might be, you know, we're, we're a couple of weeks out from the next round of my running program. So I've been really busy working in that and I probably haven't been as present with my family. Um, but I think it all sort of works out in the long run. And I think you're right with what you said, Shirley. Like some days you are really good at being a mum, some days you are really good at work and some days you are a really good partner. Um, I, I don't think, well, at least not for me, I haven't found it to be possible to be really good at everything all at once. It's so interesting you say that. You know, I finished school in the 80s and kind of the generation before us was 
um, they were the ones who really broke down so many barriers and actually accepted women, um, realised that they could do anything. But when I was in school, the lesson we were told is you could do everything and you can have it all at once. And I think that's so wrong. Like I think we're getting better at adjusting it, but I know that I can't do everything at once. Like it's, I just become an abject failure at everything. I need to prioritise and that's that's really hard. Yeah, and I think as well, you know, it is really hard, but I also think if you don't, if you don't carve out a bit of time in your day for yourself and whatever, whatever it is you want to do, maybe it's for me, it might be writing a chapter in my book or it might be going for a run, whatever it is, if I don't kind of prioritise that time, that time's just going to be eaten up by, you know, answering emails or being in a really long meeting that probably I didn't need to go to or hanging out my partner's washing or whatever it is. So you sort of got to be accept that you can't do everything all at once but also be mindful of how you spend your time and think if you really want to do something or if something's important to you, you've got to prioritise it and make the time for it. No, I absolutely agree. And I think also when I take time out for myself, I'm better for everybody else. Oh, totally. Totally. Like I can be in a really bad mood, really cranky and annoyed at all of my family who, you know, they're all very lovely, beautiful people. Um, Just, you know, my kids are just being kids and my partner's just being himself. But I'll be in a foul mood and I'll get out the door, I'll go for a run, I'll come back in 40 minutes and I'll feel better. I'll be happier, I'll have more energy, I'll feel more focused and I feel just I feel like I can be a better mom and partner and a better boss and a better friend as well. So I think really when you take that time for yourself, it does help you to be happier for one, but also helps you to feel more in control of your day. Yeah, absolutely. Which brings us to your running program. Now, nothing like having two young kids and writing a new book and creating a new running program all at once to add to that juggle. But tell us a little bit about your new running program. Yeah, I guess I came up with it because it was what I wanted after I had my first son, Huckabye, right? Like I wanted I wanted a form of accountability. I wanted that sense of empowerment that I get from running. I wanted a community of people where they really got what it was like to be a mum. So I guess that's what I've created with my running program called Run With Taria. And it's really amazing because we've, you know, we have distances for women who are fairly proficient runners. So there's a half marathon distance and there's a 10 kilometre distance. But there's women in there who are, you know, in their 50s, haven't done exercise in a really long time and, you know, a mother of three kids and they're just smashing their five kilometre goal of running. So I think that's really empowering and really incredible to see. Um, and I really believe that, like, anyone can run. There's nothing special about it. Um you don't have to be particularly talented or particularly energy efficient or have a good running technique. You don't have to have any of those things. Any one of us can run if we just set aside that time every day to do it. And it's such good time value for money, isn't it? Oh, it's the best. Yeah, in terms of getting fit and um, hitting your exercise goals, like it's the best way to do it. Oh, and there's no time waste, right? Like I get out my door, the run starts. There's no like driving to a gym, waiting for the class to start, driving home. And there's, you know what I mean? It's just like if I've got 30 minutes, I can use that really effectively and go for a run. But 
also want to put out there that I totally get running is not for everyone. So I'm definitely not encouraging, you know, all of the listeners that, you know, running is the most important thing in the world because I know it's not. And maybe for you that, you know, that time for yourself is, you know, half an hour every day writing your blog or, you know, 20 minutes going going for a little walk or maybe catching up with a girlfriend for a coffee, whatever it is, just, just trying to make that time for yourself every day. Yeah, absolutely. Taria, um, I want to spend a few minutes talking about your new book, but in particular about the topic happiness. One of the things that we're really keen to explore on this new series of podcasts is how we lead for the future. And I think COVID showed us all that we are so capable of thinking about different ways to do things, you know, whether it's creatively, whether it's working differently, working, you know, from home or in a hybrid situation, and whether it's even thinking about new solutions for our planet, ways that we can actually um, keep the best parts of this planet for future generations and be more sustainable. When you talk about um, a sustainable future, people don't talk about happiness. Like we just don't. Leaders don't ever mention happiness. Um, it's never up there on the list of priorities of things we're trying to achieve or juggle. Tell me why for you it was happiness and why when I read your blog, when I read your website, when I listen to your interviews, it's the one overarching thing that comes through. It's just the joy that you give people but also the happiness you're trying to get people to aspire to. Yeah, and I guess there's a, there's a couple of different ways that I, that I can answer this question. I, I agree happiness is not really a sought-after goal for a lot of people, I think, most people think it's a bit, a little bit trite, you know, and, and it seems, it seems kind of insignificant when you compare it to the, to the other really great, you know, aspirations out there, like being super determined or being super focused or achieving your goals or whatever it is. But I really think someone who is happy most of the time is generally more productive, more energetic, more focused, more determined. And we all know that intuitively, right? We can be feeling really lethargic, sitting at our desk, trying to work on something, not getting it done. We go for a walk with a friend. Hey, presto, that's a mood booster for us, right? You know, we feel more energetic. We feel happier. We can sit back down at our desk. We feel more productive. We feel like we're more in the swing of things. So I think happiness is a goal that we should strive for. But I also want to temper that with, I don't think it's a destination. And I don't think we ever reach a point of saying, yep, I am happy and I will be happy forevermore. That's so true because we're constantly aspiring, right? And yeah. you, like people say, oh, I'll be happy when I buy a house or I'll be happy when I get that job. And then you get there and you realise that there's more. And yeah. that's not actually the be-all and end-all. And the other thing I think that's really important to recognise is we can't be happy every minute of every day. Totally. And I think that's an important part of happiness though, right, is, is I guess accepting those other emotions, whether it's being sad, angry, irritated, resentful, jealous, whatever that emotion is, trying to just accept it and acknowledge it and almost allow yourself to wallow in it, even though it feels really shit and uncomfortable at the time. But I think, you know, rather than just pushing it away and denying that emotion, just saying, you know what, I'm feeling resentful, I feel annoyed, I feel angry about X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And as soon as you put a name to it and accept it and acknowledge it, that feeling tends to dissipate a lot quicker 
because we've kind of allowed it into our lives. And I think we're probably not very good at doing that either because no one wants to feel angry, no one wants to feel jealous or annoyed or irritated. They're not comfortable emotions for us to feel. If we had our way, of course, we'd rather feel like happy and energetic and excited and joyful all all of the time. But I don't think we get to cherry pick. I don't think we can just have those positive emotions without feeling the darker emotions as well. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that, um, you know, in in times of extreme vulnerability and disappointment in particular, where we feel like we've been smashed and our resilience is gone and, you know, we're really struggling, I almost feel like it's a grieving process. You have to go through those stages um, and acceptance is the first one. But that's a really hard thing. Oh, it's so hard. And, like, I'm not there yet, you know. I've been doing this kind of work for, you know, almost a decade now and I'm a lot better at it than I was but I'm not a perfect person. Like, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm pretty flawed. Uh, just, ask, just ask my partner, Michael. Um, but, like, we all are as well. Like, we are all imperfect humans just trying, trying to do our best every day. Yeah, absolutely. I reckon our partners would have a good chat. Don't worry. (laughs) Work in progress. One of the things I'm really keen to talk to guests about is how you get back from, you know, that appointment of extreme vulnerability. And you had it with your accident or you had it times before the accident and you've had it since. What do you draw on um, internally? Because we've all got family and friends and husbands and kids and people who help us. But what is it that you draw on to get from that point back to either contentment or happiness or whatever you call it kind of at the other end of the spectrum? Mm, That's a good question. I think, for one, I believe that we've all got the inner resources to be able to cope with whatever life throws our way. I really believe that. I think you've got it for sure, Shirley, and so would all of the listeners of this podcast right now. I think... A lot of people just never get tested, so they might not know that about themselves yet. Um, But I think what I've always been really good at is changing my focus in that I changed what I spent my time thinking about because I knew in those early days that if I just kept ruminating on what my future may or may not look like or how I was going to be able to rebuild my life or or the, the unfairness or the injustice of it all, that would just eat me up inside. That would just make me feel sick and ill and it wouldn't do anything to help my recovery. And that's not to say that I didn't have dark days because I, of course I did. But rather than spend most of my time obsessing about that, I tried to redirect my energy and think to myself, okay, well, what's one small thing I can do today? Maybe I can make sure I do really well in my physio session. Maybe I can try and eat my whole lunch. Maybe I can, um, you know, do do 10 arm raises to try and to try and work on my shoulder flexibility. And it sounds almost, you know, when I'm talking about those goals now, it sounds almost pathetic a little bit, you know, because I'd gone from being this really high-achieving mining engineer who got injured during an ultramarathon. And so at the time, those goals felt a bit pathetic for me as well because part of me was like, oh, I'm a fit, active, young person, like, and now I can't even work, walk five steps. But again, like, spending time in that headspace wasn't very beneficial for me when instead I could spend my energy thinking about, well, what 
could I be grateful for today? How could I make today good? How could I enjoy today with my partner? What TV show could I watch today with my partner? How can I make sure I do well in my physio session? So rather than thinking about this massive overarching goal, which you know can be a really vague thing for a lot of us to think about, I more just took a step back and thought about what I could do that day. And I still do that today. That's how I wrote you know, my book in Happiness. If I sat down and thought, geez, I've got to write a whole book on happiness today, like how am I going to write it? Um, again, that's a really like vague kind of hard goal to be able to achieve. But instead I broke it down, I project managed it, I did it in little chunks, I you know, set aside certain days of the week to be able to get it done. Yeah, I love that. And actually it comes through on everything that I've read about you, baby steps. Yeah, totally. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And that's like, when people ask me what my secret is, I'm like, yeah, baby steps. They kind of think like, no, 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 I, I want, I want the real secret. Like what's the, what's the actual secret? But I think that's, that's honestly it. And it's like, you know, being consistent with something, doing the same thing every day, it's kind of boring, right? Like it's not, particularly exciting it's not revelatory but it's how it's how I've managed to create this really beautiful life for myself yeah that's fantastic it's such great advice to people and I think you know we tend to want to tick off the big things off our lists that's just who we are we all love that but actually if you can chunk those down into baby steps it'll be so much easier yeah but I guess I, I just wanted to put in here too that I think if someone is going through a hard time right now um, to see a psychologist to start with I think psychologists are awesome they are professionally trained and I think just as we'd see um, well hopefully we'd see a beautician to get our eyebrows waxed and we'd see a hairdresser to get our hair done a psychologist does the same thing for our heart and for our head so I'd highly encourage someone if they're going through something difficult right now or even if they just feel out of sorts and they don't know why to see a psychologist I think my psychologist was really pivotal to my recovery I agree I I think that's great advice thank you for that Taria these days when we talk to young people in particular about their career plan we encourage them to think of not just one career for their whole lives but to think of multiple careers and in some ways that was kind of thrown at you because as you said you started as a mining engineer Did you ever imagine, like when you were younger and you were thinking about what you wanted to achieve, did you think that this might be like talking about happiness, talking about goal setting, creating running programs? Did you ever think kind of in the, you know, in a bucket list somewhere that actually you would love to be doing that sort of stuff? Because I imagine you were always good at it. I don't know. Like I remember when I was a little girl, do you remember Archie and Veronica comics? Yes, I used to love them. In fact, I've got in my study all those little digests. Yeah. So I used to buy them and then I used to record the different characters and different voices and then I used to like make my whole family sit down and listen to it. And so I, I think as a kid I always liked that performance aspect of things, which is weird, right, because I became an engineer, which is really far removed from what I do now and you know in empowering women and like you know inspiring people so I loved my job as an engineer I'm really good at maths and science um I was really good at being an engineer I would never would have imagined that I would have been caught in a fire during an ultra marathon um but I am I guess I'm proud of how I have reinvented myself 
I think it's amazing. And to see that you've got so many tens of thousands of people who read your letters each week and who are joining your running programs, I think you're clearly changing people's lives, which, you know, this is what we're all talking about on the podcast. And I think it's really inspiring, Tariq. Yeah, well, thank you for that, Shelley. And it's it's good to hear because I think much like you would, Shirley, with your job, you'd kind of forget about the impact that it has on people. And sometimes I, sometimes I'll think, oh, I don't know if anyone's going to read this newsletter. Like it's so shit. Or if I'm posting something on social, I'm like, oh, what is this even saying? Like this is just crap. And I think as well, that's our, you know, that's our inner critic. That's our kind of self-critical voice that comes into a lot of things where we think that no one really gives a shit about what we're doing at all and no one cares um so that's that's good good to hear <laughs> you're touching on all the things I want to talk about yeah yeah I think and I think potentially women might feel that more than men right because I think as a woman you know as a female in engineering I felt like I had to I almost had to prove my worth right like I had to prove that I belonged there by excelling in my studies and then I had to prove that I belonged on the mind side as well and I don't think that my male counterparts would have even considered the same thoughts that I was thinking about you know I don't think it would have even crossed their mind. I, I can I can um, identify with that because I was a lawyer for a long time and I felt like I constantly had to prove myself get, get there a little earlier finish a little later work harder I don't, I don't think the males that I worked with as smart and as clever and as wonderful as they were I don't think they ever faced that maybe they did and they didn't talk about it which is also an issue mm. how did you find being a woman of color as a lawyer look I was in Asia so it was really interesting so I started as a lawyer in 1994 and I was um, working for a New York law firm so went to New York mm. and then was in Japan and so I can't tell you how many times I was the only woman in a room and would be asked to make tea mm. or go and get um, the snacks or one of the male lawyers would have to turn around and say, actually, she's a lawyer, we'll call somebody to bring tea. But in Japan back then, there just weren't, you know, 1994, there just weren't a lot of women. And we would go to meetings at, at offices, external offices, and the female engineer or the female lawyer or the female business person would would have to get up and go and make the tea. And so many meetings where I remember one in particular, it was with a um, a very large bank in Asia and we had we'd fi- we were finishing a securitization. And so at the end of these big deals, it was back in the heady 90s, they'd have these massive lunches and dinners. And so we're in this boardroom probably with 100 bankers and lawyers and uh, all ready for lunch. And my colleagues who I was with, kind of we walked in the room, I was 27, you know, I had no idea. I was 27, we walked in this room and my colleagues just scattered to the wind. And I was left there at the entrance standing by myself and the president of this bank, this Asian bank came over, grabbed my hand and said, come and sit with me. And then the whole meeting, the whole lunch, he had his hand on my knee and it was with your husband and why does he let you leave? And, I, you know, I've got countless stories like that, but I imagine most women have countless stories like that who were working back then. I hope it happens less or I'd like to think it doesn't happen anymore, but we all know from recent events that that's not true, unfortunately. Mm. Mm. So let's go back to the topic of self-talk. 
I struggle with negative self-talk in my head. So do I, Shirley. I think everyone does. It's really common, I think. You know, I think there's a spectrum and on one hand of the spec, one side of the spectrum, you've got kind of the narcissistic personality. I don't know if they suffer from self-talk. On the other hand, you've got the people who, who I really feel for where the self-talk is really debilitating and it stops them doing things. But I think the bulk of us are in that kind of big chunk in the middle and we vacillate kind of one way or another. How do you deal with with self-talk when you're kind of, you know, in a situation and you, the little voice in your head saying, you can't do this? Yeah, yeah. I guess to start with, my self-talk is probably better than a lot of people's and that's because I had a really great upbringing I had two really strong role models for parents um, and my mum was a master of, of self-talk and 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 you know positive self-talk and all of those things so even as a young kid I had that ingrained in me and I think obviously that really served me well after my accident trying to put together the pieces of my life again I think now what I do is because you know we've all got that voice inside our head that just you know mine is incessant in you know like you sound like an idiot you don't know what you're saying you look like an idiot Shirley's gonna wonder why she asked you to be on the podcast blah 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 and so there's a couple of things you can do right if it's just you you can try and speak to yourself like you would speak to your kids so I would never say to my son Huckabye you're an idiot you don't know what you're doing you're gonna look like a fool I would never say that to him so I try and stop myself try and notice it be conscious of it to start with and try and speak to myself like I would speak to one of my kids but another thing is if you're giving that voice inside your head airtime then your attention is there and it's not placed on well how how can you give back to someone else? How can you be of service? How, you know, rather than me listening to that voice right now, Shirley, I could be thinking about the questions that you're asking me and and doing a really good job on this podcast so people f- listen to it and they think, hey, that was a really great podcast between Terea and Shirley and Terea's got this running program. I'm going to go, I'm going to go check it out and look it up. So I guess just trying to change, trying to change my focus and trying to be be in the present moment with someone, I find that's really helpful for me as well. But finally, it's just accepting it. Like I just go, yeah, I've heard you before. Like you're always there. I get it, but I'm just going to do this anyway. I don't care what you say. Yeah, I love that. I love that. The um, And if it makes you feel any better in the lead up to this podcast, I had the same negative self-talk thinking, why would Taria want to sit on a podcast with me? So, um, and look, we're having great conversations. Well, this is your first one, isn't it, Shirley? Yeah, you're doing amazing. I can't tell you how many nights I've woken up at three o'clock thinking, oh, you know, how am I going to do it? But um, I love talking to people and we're having a great conversation. So thank you for your time and your patience. Do you find that when you are nervous or stressed about something or anxious or uncertain, but you do it regardless, right, that you feel really empowered? Yeah. And I think that's, you know, we're talking about tricks to deal with self-talk. I listen to mine. I get consumed by it. I kind of check things and double check things and triple check things. That's kind of the way I deal with it. But then it's that courage of just putting yourself out there. And I've started to believe people around me. So, you know, with I went through something recently, my husband kept saying, you'll be okay, you'll be fine. 
and we had a massive fight and I said, you don't have any clue what you're talking about. Um, and he was right. And it's trusting in you love the people around you for a reason. Mm. You, know, you think they're terrific and you trust their judgment. It's weird that we don't trust their judgment when it comes to us. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a really good point. Yeah. You know, so learning to trust, I think, is a big part of that and just taking the leap. And I've asked myself, what's the worst that could happen? Like in saying yes to this podcast, I was so excited and then terrified. Um, but what's the worst that could happen? I meet incredible women and have great conversations. That's a pretty good outcome, I think. Yeah, that is a good outcome. And also just knowing in yourself that you've done hard things before and you were shit scared then and then you did them and then you felt really empowered and amazing and on top of the world and then you did another hard thing and you were terrified and petrified and guess what, you did that too. And, you know, I, I think just trying to remember how you felt in the past and how good you felt after, um, that's always a really good reminder for myself. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think too, every time you do something, you do get more empowered. I don't think we should be so scared of failure. And failure is part of what we do. And to get the big successes, you've got to have the fails. You've got to learn. So one of the other questions I want to explore with people, and, you know, in some ways, Taria, I feel a bit trite asking you this, but I'm really interested in when leaders or how leaders develop their leadership philosophy oh god you know (laughs) I think you know and again it's serendipity or planning or kind of being on the journey or a little bit of all three but I don't think leaders kind of at the age of 20 or 25 or 30 say I'm going to be this kind of leader this is what I'm going to do and it's all going to be planned I think at least in my case you wake up one day and you realise people are looking at you in a different way and that you are that person and you've developed into instead of the mentee, you're the mentor, instead of the, you know, the person looking for role models, you are that person. Tell me a little bit about kind of your thoughts on that and how it developed for you. Is it still developing? I think it's still developing, to be honest. I know a couple of years ago in my business, this sounds ridiculous, but I didn't really feel like I was a boss, even though I, even though I was, I didn't feel like I was in charge. I think it was just uncertainty, not really sure about what I was doing. All of those things, I th- I think, made me feel like that. And also, that was when my business, that was when I just started my business. So I didn't really had had no clue what I was doing. So that that's probably a large, be <laughs> a large part of the reason why I feel like that ten times a day. I think now that I'm a bit older and I've got an amazing team of people I work with, I try and really look after them so that, they, so that they're able to do a really good job, try and provide them as, as much support as they can as they need. But I think for me, I'm probably not seen as a, a mentor for people. But having said that, I know I'm a role model for a lot of people in Australia because I get, you know, emails and DMs and things from them all of the time saying that because of my story they were inspired to leave a partner who had been abusive for 10 years or because of my story they decided to quit smoking or they decided to start running, whatever it is. So I think in that capacity as a role model, I'm not quite sure if I was to articulate how I've done that, it would be just being very open 
and vulnerable about my story from the, I guess, from the very start. I've never tried to hide anything about it. Um, I've kind of just laid it all out for people. I think too, Tree. I feel like um, this is the first time I've met you, but I feel like you've shared your journey with us from the beginning. Like I remember the first 60 Minutes interview, Yeah, you know, the newspaper and magazine articles and hearing about your partner. I like that was the overarching thing I remember that what you knew um, your partner since you were high school and you're still together and that's a gorgeous love story. But, you know, I feel like I didn't have to catch up on your last decade because I knew we were part of the journey. You let you let us all in. Yeah, and I think that was intentional from the start. I guess I wanted to, you know, after that first 60 Minutes segment, for me that was almost like leverage, right, that if everyone in Australia knew about me and the journey that I was on, then that would that would encourage me to go really hard at my rehab and to do Ironman competitions and to put all of myself into it, um, which sounds really extreme now, like looking back at that mentality 10 years on. But at the time, I think it was really good for me to have all of these people in Australia that had my back, you know what I mean? And they were supporting me. And I really think that you know, it's so easy to think that you can do everything by yourself, but I don't think we can. Like I know in my experience, I never would have been able to do all of the things that I've done if I didn't have my partner, my mum, amazing doctors, compassionate nurses, heartless physiotherapists, you know, incredible friends. If I didn't have all of those people, I wouldn't be who I am today and I wouldn't have done most of the things that I've done. I think that's true for all of us, Tree. Yeah. No matter what your journey, I couldn't be where I am today without my family and friends and the people who loved me and pushed me and the people who told me things I didn't want to hear and the people who gave me feedback and you know loved me enough to um to support me yeah and I think if I'm if I'm looking at the best thing that came out of my accident I really feel like it strengthened my relationships and I feel so incredibly grateful for the people in my life like you know Michael and my mom and my kids and my family and my friends and I think before my accident I was still a young woman I was 24 like what did I know about life what did I know I knew nothing um but I was very self-focused very determined very obsessed about getting to where I wanted to go and I just never I never spent a moment thinking about how awesome it was that I had all of these really great people in my life. So I think that's one of the things my accident taught me was to be grateful for people who are there for you and to make time for those relationships because I think at the end of the day, if everything goes to shit or when things go down to the wire, it's our relationships are the most important thing. I absolutely agree. You are still young. You have um, kind of careers and careers and careers ahead of you. In this new paradigm where we do have multiple careers, what's next? What are the things that you want to achieve? Yeah, that's good. That's a, I've got so many things. Like I'd love to do Molokai to Oahu, that big like paddleboard race between the islands of Hawaii. Always wanted to do that. I'd love to write another book. I'd also love to write a fiction book. I am an avid reader, but I guess I've, I get paralysed by thinking, oh, whatever I write won't be as good as all of these other amazing books that I've read as well, which is like, again, that's just my inner voice doing its doing its normal thing. And I think because my kids are young right now, I am happy to be spending time with my family. 
uh, because I'm very conscious of the fact that, you know, in 10 years' time, my little boys probably won't want me sleeping be- sleeping in bed with them. They're probably not going to want to sit on the couch with me for a cuddle. Um, they're not going to want to go for a walk in a nice little pram on a, on a beautiful sunny day. So I'm just, even though sometimes I get frustrated by my time not completely belonging to me, I'm also conscious of the fact that it, it won't last forever, that in 10 years' time I'll look back on this period of time and think, oh, that was such a beautiful time in my life. What a privilege it's been to spend time with the inspiring Taria Pitt. And how refreshing to speak to someone who prioritises happiness and is just so authentic. I loved that we talked about the voices in our heads that hold us back and about our dark times. I'm not sure I've ever spoken to a leader that has openly said that their priority is happiness. And maybe there's a lesson in that for all of us especially as we tackle the big, wicked problems of our future. Perhaps it's even the missing ingredient. If we prioritise our own and each other's happiness alongside the other things we're focusing on, how to work better, where to work, how to make money, how to look after each other and our planet, maybe our focus can shift just enough that it makes a difference. I'll leave those questions with you to think about. That's it for today. I know how crazy life is and I'm so grateful that you've taken this time with us. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. It was my first, so I'm feeling overwhelming relief. This episode was produced by the wonderful Alison Ho. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and leave us a rating and feedback. Feedback is how we all grow, so we would love to hear from you. You can send feedback via Women's Agenda or me anywhere on social media. Women's Agenda comes out every weekday and you can read it and subscribe at womensagenda.com.au. I love it. And if you're not reading it already, I'm sure you will love it too. I can't wait to be with you again next week. See you next time. Women's Agenda is proud to partner with Salesforce on this podcast series. As the world's leading CRM, Salesforce continues to be a different kind of Fortune 500 company, one that cares and gives back to the community, yet innovates like a startup. Equality is a core value at Salesforce and as a business, believes that its higher purpose is to drive equality for all. For more, visit salesforce.com.